Writing, Ray. <laughs> Definitely keep writing. That's a beautiful song. Uh, just one that we can worship to, worship with, you know. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, this evening we're going through First um, Samuel chapter 18. <clears throat> and if you want to reference uh, where we're at as far as the Psalms are concerned. Also, it's reflected, I believe it's in Second Samuel chapter 22. If you want to, j- just this is all, not in my notes, but um, something that you could look to. So uh, Psalm, I mean, Second uh, Samuel 2.22 is uh, David's song of deliverance, which is reflected also in Psalm chapter 18, um, which is... Um, a psalm that David wrote um, regarding uh, the time when, when the Lord had rescued him from the hand of his enemies, as well as from the hand of Saul himself. <clears throat> and so I encourage you to read through those, those psalms. We don't have time for the sake of time. We can't reference 2 Samuel two, or 22 or Psalm 18 in its entirety, but just beautiful to go through. I'll read you some of Psalm 18. Uh, beginning in verse 46, uh, just to kind of go into this uh, this chapter, which in uh, Psalm 18, uh, King David writes, and keep in mind, this is King David now looking back at the servant David under the reign of King Saul. So Psalm chapter 18, uh, verse 46, it says, the Lord, lives and blessed, uh, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation is a great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And so he's he's um giving God his due praise. And he understands uh, where his deliverance comes from and uh, who is his strength. As we take a look at this chapter, you will notice uh, something as far as David is is concerned. Uh, Number one, a humble heart. Uh, Number two, that he is a servant. And uh, number three, that he he seems oblivious to the schemes of the enemy and what Saul's intentions truly are. And so just think about those things as we go through the study of this chapter, because uh, David was no dummy. That's what we need to take into account. We need also uh, uh, kind of with this thought, understand just where David's faith was. Uh, faith, uh, his faith was placed squarely on the Lord. And therefore, we see a man who had just taken out Goliath and was someone who Uh, expressed a faith that endured uh, regardless of what came against him. So uh, it was, he was this man that was just steadfast. He was immovable. And, uh, and so it's just, it's something to think about as we go through this study. So again, first Samuel chapter 18 will, um, is what we're studying this evening. Let me give you a a little bit of um, background prior to going into this chapter Uh, Because at this point, as I had mentioned, David uh, had just slain Goliath, the Philistine champion, uh, which we know at the moment that King David took out Goliath, the giant, that the entire Israeli army was encouraged to pursue the Philistines and 
they knew victory over them. Uh, Furthermore, David was brought before King Saul, as we saw in the latter part of chapter 17. Uh, He was brought before King Saul by Abner, the commander of his army, uh, to present himself and confirm who he is and to get to know his heart. The the King Saul to get to know David's heart. And so this was uh, something that he had done just prior to going into this chapter that we're going into. And there's no doubt that news of the event that took place in the Valley of Elah between David and Goliath traveled quickly throughout the whole land. Everyone knew about this. And David's name was commonly spoken, even at this point, by all, as we'll learn as King Saul and David come in with the entire uh, Israeli army uh, back from battle and how it is that they acknowledge them. So David's fame had gone throughout the whole land. They knew this young man who had expressed such amazing faith and took down a Goliath with just one stone and a sling. So everyone respected him at this point, especially throughout the ranks of the army, of Israel's army. So David was a well-respected warrior, known for speaking his faith and acting on it. And we know at this point, his courage surpassed them all. Everyone. I mean, remember that not one, not one person stepped up and had the courage and the faith to face Goliath. But David did. So his courage, you could say, surpassed them all. This evening, we'll see how two men, a father and a son, responds to David and how David responds to them. So this is, these are some of the things also that as we study God's word, that you, as you see the lives of different people in, in these situations, you, you want to study how they respond to the circumstances that they find themselves in. Um, so you'll see two men, a father and a son. That's King Saul and his son Jonathan. And then David and how they respond to what's going on. And most importantly, what place God has given in the life of David and the faith that he continues to live out in his life. Which, remember, he is a man after God's own heart. Father, we want to commit this time into your hands once more, asking for your blessing. Lord, give us understanding of your word. And help us, Lord, to not only grasp an understanding of what is before us this evening, but, Lord, encourage us, Lord, knowing that you are our strength. Lord, that we can have that peace that surpasses all understanding as we place our trust in you, knowing that you are immovable and we are immovable in you. And no one can snatch us out of your hands. You are our God and we are your people. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen your people, Father. Give us the truth and help us to understand it and be able to apply the truth to our lives to your glory. And so we we ask that you would teach us this evening, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And David took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that, he, that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also 
in the sight of Saul's servants. So these first five verses basically set up the the entire chapter that's before us. Uh, To fully understand, I believe, these first five verses, we need to consider the background of both men that we um, have read about, both Jonathan and David. Uh, We need to understand the significance of what Jonathan did by giving David his armor and weapons. You know, he gave him his robe, he gave him his armor, he gave gave him uh, his weapons, he gave him all that. So, in verse 1, once again, it says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, we'll get to the meaning of what Jonathan did. But with this, we also need to understand these two men. You see, when two men, when they have hearts that reflect the same, oftentimes the hearts are knit together almost immediately. You just have this this kinship, you know, that goes far beyond, uh, you know, being born of the same mother. You know, it's just... Something to where it's like there's something about that person that really draws me to them. And we see this between David and Jonathan. There's, there's just this, this, this something that's happening there that, you know, immediately there's this friendship that's being developed. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, we need to go back there. Because we need to be reminded of Jonathan, who Jonathan is. You know, he came to the surface there in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and then we don't read, him, read about him again until here in chapter 18. And in chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul, cho- Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and, and the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it, and, and all Israel heard it, and said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called out to join Saul Gilgal. Well, the whole reason why Israel had become a stench to the Philistines is because of the courageous act of Jonathan as is immediately upon having a thousand men assigned to him. He says, well, there in Geba is a garrison of the Philistines who are our enemies. Let's go and take them out. Courage immediately. I don't know. Were these men tested? I don't know. He, I, maybe he was testing them then. Nonetheless, he was, he was displaying this great courage. This, this was the manna of Jonathan. He was, he was courageous in the sight of the Lord. The moment Jonathan had the men to attack the enemy, he did it. He took those thousand men and attacked the garrison at Geba. Now, we know what this caused. Uh, this caused the, Philist, the, Philistine, the Philistines to uh, gather together against Israel in numbers that could not be counted. Um, What that caused the army of Israel to do is to thin out uh, the 3,000 men. It thinned out to, you guys remember how many? A whopping 600. Imagine that. If 3,000 wasn't enough, 600 wasn't enough either. 
right? So it, th- and it ended up thinning out the army of Israel. This, is, this was all due to what Jonathan uh, had done there in bringing his thousand men against this garrison and taking out the Philistines. Well, out of those 600 men, and the Philistine army gathered and lined up in battle against them, there were two men, Jonathan and his armor bearer, who were used by God to send the Philistines into a great panic, turning on each other, and this allowed the Israelites to know victory over the Philistines. Oh, what a great story. I mean, we're, we're not talking about David here. We're talking about Jonathan. The heart of Jonathan is what we need to consider in this friendship that had quickly developed between Jonathan and David. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 6 and 7 says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Language that is very much similar to that of David, wasn't it? Who are these uncircumcised Philistines, right? Do you realize who they are? He says, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 23, it says, so the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. So is it was by what Jonathan did, or through what Jonathan did, that the Lord used him to rout the Philistines. Very much, in many ways, similar to what David did in facing Goliath. Think about it, a lot of similarities. Because remember that they had chariots, they had men on horses. The Philistines did when they were lined up. You know, 3,000 men in comparison to who knows how many men of the Philistines was like facing Goliath. That's why many men were going home. They went back across the Jordan. like They wanted to have, they have nothing to do with it. And yet, because of the faithfulness and, and trust that Jonathan had in his God, he took his armor bearer, went into the Philistine camp, And through Jonathan, who was faithful, the Lord caused a panic to overwhelm the Philistines, throwing them into a panic, and they turned on themselves. And then what happened? The army of Israel went in and fought them in new victory. Very similar as to what David did with Goliath and how it was that the army of Israel responded when the giant fell. He was also a man who possessed great courage because he trusted in the Lord and knew that God could know victory with few or with many. When Jonathan came to know this heart, the heart of David was very much like, I trust in the Lord like that. Here's finally a, a, a man that I can, I can link arms with. I, I, can, I can link shields with. And we can move forward. That is so encouraging when you find someone else, a sister and sister in Christ, to where you know, oh, we can link, we can link shields and we can move forward. Fear will not hold you back from advancing 
And fear won't hold you back from advancing. Let's do this together. And we have each other's backs when you find a brother that can do that, you know, and who's willing to do that. And so here we have Jonathan that found out what was in the heart of David as he expressed it. And he demonstrated it by acting and moving forward and slaying the giant. And they were drawn to each other in this friendship. It's interesting how our hearts are knit to Uh, to others of similar character and integrity of heart, and especially those who share similar levels of faith in the Lord. You're encouraged by that. And as you see that in other people, you're encouraged. Maybe I'm I'm not there, but I can see that so-and-so is there. And man, I just, I want that. I want that faith. I want that strength. I want that peace. I want that like just steady as she goes. You know, nothing can move this person. I want that. And it's encouraging to each other. So verse 3 speaks to a covenant between two friends. Verse 3 says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. There was this covenant that was made between the two. This is a covenant or agreement that reflected the relationship between two men that shared a heart after God. They agreed to be loyal to one another and to honor the friendship above all. I know that this was all centered on a faith in God because what Jonathan did next demonstrated a submission to what he knew the Lord was doing in their midst and with David. That's why verse 4 is very significant. There was this covenant, but the covenant could only be made between two friends, this agreement. I have your back. Do I have, you know, I have yours and do you have mine? And, and yes, let's agree, you know, that this friendship will go far beyond anything. And the Lord is between us. Why do we know that? Because of verse 4, this, this act uh, of Jonathan. Verse 4 says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. What does all this mean? It's like today it'd be kind of weird, you know, uh, a soldier taking off his, his outer garment. He takes off his, I don't know, all the, all, he just removes everything and he gives it to someone. What does that mean? What, what is that? Here's my rifle. Here's all my magazines. Here's my, my handgun. Here's, here's everything. This has great significance. Who's Jonathan? Oh, Jonathan is the son of King Saul. What does that make him? His successor. It makes him the crown prince. He is next in line. These are all the things that we need to think about. He was the successor to the throne of Saul. Jonathan was Saul's firstborn. On the other hand, who's David? Well, David was not in succession to the throne as far as his familial lineage is concerned. And not only was he Jesse's son, but he wasn't Jesse's firstborn son. He was the last among eight brothers. Here's the significance. Jonathan, by giving him his robe, armor, and weapons, 
was acknowledging that David was God's anointed and successor to the throne and was surrendering to what he knew God desired. Oh, that's, that's big. Jonathan was expressing his belief that the clothing of the crown prince belonged to David. When you understand what, what something like this signifies, it puts things in perspective. You think, wow, what kind of friendship is this? Because instead of seeing David as a threat, Jonathan surrendered to what he believed was the will of God. God was greater than even his succession to the throne. What he saw and acknowledged and knew, he surrendered to the will of the Lord. Above all, his loyalty to David was based on his loyalty to God. And he wanted above all that the Lord would be glorified in and through it all. So as they made this covenant between each other, they said, we will be loyal to each other. First and foremost, that can only happen if they're loyal to the Lord. And then immediately thereafter, Jonathan was saying, I acknowledge you as the successor of the throne. It's not me. A friend that loves God more than you will honor that friendship in a way that glorifies the Lord and not self. Where Saul sent David after this, it says here that he, he was his servant. Wherever Saul sent David, his servant, David had great success. David was tested, and, and as he proved himself, he was set over the army of Israel as commander. And, and the men respected him, is what we've come to know in his assigned position. David had proven himself to the king and the people he was honored, and to the people, and he was honored by both. I think about 1 Corinthians 10.31. Because David was only interested in, in glorifying the Lord, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So no matter where you're at, do all to the glory of God. Give it your best. Um, I know that certain things can be very difficult in the perhaps the different ways, the different areas of work that you are in, but at the same time, the Lord knows. And what we have the responsibility of doing is living our, uh, our lives in a way and doing our jobs in a way that glorifies the Lord, serving those who are uh, above us uh, as, as our, our bosses. We are to glorify the Lord in how we work. So David was good, it says here, in the sight of Saul and Saul's servants. But verse 6 says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, uh, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. 
He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul, I, David, from that day on. (laughs) Success can have an impact on many people in different ways. In many different ways. Not just the one experiencing the success, but those around the person who is experiencing success. In a way, there's nothing that will test the integrity and character of a person more than success can. And this is why it's important to humble oneself in the sight of the Lord when humbled and when exalted. Because just know this, it's not just the one who's exalted that needs to be aware of this, but also the one who's humbled that needs to be aware of this. Because when you're humbled, you can have this kind of attitude uh, of like a victim mentality, you know, being bitter, uh, being angry, um, looking to others, why them? And so you have this kind of a, uh, an attitude that doesn't reflect one that knows contentment in the Lord. At the same time, the person who knows success, who is exalted, can forget about God, can start believing that they have done this. They have pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps and they've done it all. Look at, look at the work that I've done. And you, and you forget God. So you got to be in, so you, so you got to be aware. You got to be, uh, you know, you got to realize what's happening and keep your eyes on the Lord. David could have gotten very, uh, conceited at the time and arrogant as his popularity was increasing. I mean, all the ladies were singing, you know, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands and David could have came in like, yeah, that's right. I'm it. All right. But he didn't. He wasn't conceited. He wasn't arrogant. He remained the same. What was he interested in doing? Being faithful to his master. He wanted to be faithful and loyal to Saul. David behaved wisely, exhibiting great maturity and self-restraint. And that's what we see in David. That's something that we need to emulate. Something that we, we ourselves in our own lives need to reflect. Just a maturity. Just taking in and realizing what we're faced with. And then responding in a way that glorifies the Lord. Honors him. But what about others? What about King Saul? When the women danced and sang to celebrate David in this way, he grew jealous of David and is described as being angry. You see, success under you can give rise to thoughts that are harmful and destructive if not submitted and surrendered to the Lord. Quite honestly, I mean, if you're, if you're a boss, if, if you're in, in any way um, entrusted with other people, as you, you know, oh, Rawl slayed his thousands and, and Modesto his ten thousands. And it's like, you know, if I don't, if I don't guard my heart, I, I, I can start to like, oh, you know, everyone loves Modesto, but they don't love me. I, who am I? You know, you know what? If, if I don't guard my heart that can prove destructive in my life. And within the very place that I'm, I'm at, the, pe- the other people that I've been entrusted with, it can be very destructive. 
very destructive. If not submitted and surrendered to the Lord. It can happen to anyone. Initially, he thought it was great that everyone thought that he had made a good decision in, regarding, in regards to David. You know, he made him commander over the army. But, but now this same man is being lauded as gaining greater victories than him. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's not so good. Because he didn't take his thoughts captive and submit them to the Lord, the enemy used his jealousy and envy to lead him down a path of thought, of assuming the next thing for David is to take his throne. What, what's the next thing he's going to do? If now he's, he's in this position before the eyes of the people, what's the next thing for him to do? Is he, He's just going to take my throne. It's like, you see how it is that if we don't take these thoughts captive, how it is that now we're assuming these things that aren't even true. It's not, it's not true. You can see, I, I've heard this before. I, I don't know. I, I think there's some truth to it. The man's value is seen by the wake he's leaving behind, the size of the wake that he's leaving behind. In other words, if that wake, if he's just like, just moving forward, it's like what that is a picture of is is a, a boat that's powerful and going through the water. And the bigger the wake behind him, it means that there's, there's great power and he's just, it's just building so much behind him, right? That, a man who is interested in building others up will want that wake behind him bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that that's something that we can't be envious or jealous of those who are coming up under us in any, in any place, in your secular job, uh, especially within the church. We need to be mindful of the way Saul looked at this. And, and we need to be mindful of the fact that the enemy can use a situation like this in our place and use it to destroy ministries. We can't do that. We need to be, we need to be thankful and celebratory over what the Lord's doing, especially in the body of Christ. Well, Saul didn't take his thoughts captive, did he? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So it's like, ah, we grab that thought, we submit it to the Lord, and, you know, we allow God's word to be the judge of those thoughts, whether they're right or wrong. Do you consider your thoughts in light of Scripture? Do you submit your thoughts to the Lord and ask Him to reveal to you whether they are thoughts that honor God's Word or not? That's what we ought to be doing. What do you do when they don't line up with God's Word? Do you forsake them, asking for forgiveness, and choose to obey Christ? Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Our first loyalty should be to glorifying the Lord. He's given his all. In our 
response to that should be we give our all. We give of ourselves everything. Well, Saul was jealous and he allowed his thoughts to run away from him. And it says here that Saul eyed David from that day on. In other words, he didn't trust him. And, there, and it's worse. And it's even worse. His eye was on him to take him out completely, to take out his, his very life. Verse 10, the next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the, the lyre. As he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Not once, but twice. Now, we know that the spirit had departed from Saul. As we read that in previous chapters. A harmful, as this happened, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon him. Uh, we've already discussed this and how when God removed his spirit, a harmful spirit was then free to come in and torment Saul, as was happening now. Now, some translations say that Saul was prophesying. That's, that's actually, it's, it's not um, a very accurate translation, but perhaps you have a Bible that has that translation. I know the New King James Version does not have prophesying, but others may. Now, it is better translated, as we have here, and he raved or he, he babbled. He raved like a madman is what this is describing. You know, you, you've seen those who are out of their minds um, you see him on the street corners. You see them within the cities to where, um, you know, you see him yelling and, and, and you can't even understand what it is that they're saying or what they're talking about. And this was the picture that we have with Saul in the presence of David as David was coming in and playing uh, the instrument it was like a harp uh, to, to soothe him, to bring him down from, uh, you know, and put him in his right mind. He was raving like a madman, babbling. As David played Saul, as David played, Saul went off like a crazy man making no sense. Can you imagine? It'd be like, uh, Ray, Ray, can you just play a tune? Play a tune for a while. He's going crazy. <laughs> and, and here Ray's playing, but I'm like just, I'm babbling. How distracting would that be? <laughs> Very distracting, right? It'd be like, what's wrong with him? He's wild. And then to top it off, King Saul has this, has this spear in his hand. Like, well, talk about unsettling. As David played for Saul. Consider this. David was popular throughout. This was the man who was playing for Saul, by the way, at this time. David was popular throughout the land as a warrior and as a commander of the army. And yet... When called on to play the instrument for Saul, he did. He came. David wasn't afraid to humble himself and learn how to be a servant of the Lord and serve his master on earth in whatever way he had need. It's, just a, it's a beautiful picture of this, of this gentle warrior. You, you know, a man who could be steel and velvet. A man who is, who is soft you know, in regards to the Lord and wanted to glorify the Lord. And yet he was a warrior who wasn't afraid to go up against Goliath the giant. A nine-foot Philistine who everyone else was afraid of. He wasn't afraid of, of being known for, for that. To being lauded as, as a man who had great victories. 
you know, taking out his ten thousands. And here he was, playing a musical instrument for King Saul, a madman. He wasn't afraid to humble himself before the Lord. The scene is quite scary, though. Here was Saul out of his mind with a spear in his hand. Saul thought, well, we see it here. I will pin David to the wall. So it's not like we have to read between the lines and see what he implied. No, it's straight. He wanted to pin him to the wall. That's what he wanted, wanted to do. And he, he failed the first time. And then he tried a second time and failed the second time. And I find it amazing that David stuck around for the second time of Saul's attempt. You know, it's like the first time it's okay. I, I get, I, I got the clue. Saul wants me dead, but he comes back and tries a second time. It's quite obvious that Saul didn't like David, but then again, David knew that Saul was not in his right mind. And David also knew that Saul remained on the throne. And David honored the throne and the one on it. You see, we can learn a lot from David as to how to serve and to stick to serving even when things get difficult because we know that God has simply called us to be faithful. That's all he's called us to do. Just be faithful. So Saul held a spear in his hand while David held a harp in his hand. It was obvious who desired harm upon the other. It kind of was coming to the surface. Who desired harm on who? David was trying to be faithful, and here was Saul trying to take him out. Obviously, violence was in the heart of Saul. Verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So, Saul feared David, and we need to acknowledge, we need to understand why. Why? Oh, why? The Lord was with him. That's why. Because the Lord was with David and not with Saul. Saul at least acknowledged what was possible with the Lord and how important it was to have the Lord's anointing and spirit. So that's one thing he acknowledged in all of this. Uh, what did this? But we need to understand, what did this fear drive Saul to do? This is what we need to be careful in our own lives. This fear of perhaps other people, this is why we really need to guard our hearts. Uh, fear can come out in many different ways. Jealousy, envy, anger, bitterness, resentment. Perfect love casts out all fear. What kind of love is this? Oh, it's the love of God that we have with us. That drives all that fear out. That's what it does. So what did this fear drive him to do? Well, he made him a commander of a thousand. Remember that earlier in this chapter, he made him commander of the army. Period. He's like, no, I'm going to demote him. To now being just a commander of a thousand. It was designed to degrade and shame David, but even in that, David had success in all he put his hand to, and everyone loved David. Wow, that didn't work. 
It didn't, it didn't work. And this actually caused Saul to fear David even more. It's like Pharaoh. You know, he acknowledged what the Lord was doing, and yet he hardened his heart even more. And here was Saul doing the same thing. He acknowledged what God was doing in and through David, and he still feared him even more. It wasn't a surrender. It wasn't a heart of repentance. It wasn't a heart of confession. It was a heart of, hmm, that didn't work. Let's try something else. And he kept on. We're going to see this throughout the chapter here. It's in times of attempted humiliation by our enemies that we see that trusting in God is worth doing as he is faithful and demonstrates himself faithful on our behalf if we but trust that he is able and then lean on him. You know, in times of humiliation, we saw because it was, it was humiliating for David by all worldly accounts. Yeah, he got demoted. You, don't brag, you brag about promotions, not demotions, right? Why? Because promotions, those are great. But when you're demoted, you're like, Shh, don't tell a soul, right? He was humbled. And it was at that, in that time, in that moment, you know, as far as David was concerned, he had a clear conscience before the Lord. And he kept going. And he just, he just clung to the Lord. He didn't quit. He just kept going. He trusted in him. Because he knew that the Lord was able. And he leaned on him. Now David knew that he was in danger. And, and yet he doesn't retaliate. We don't see any of that. Or plan any ill towards Saul. We don't see any of that. And this is a test again of godly integrity and character. When you're treated ill and remain faithful and submit your thoughts to the Lord and restrain your tongue by God's grace and power. It's a test. James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bride his whole body. It's interesting. When you don't allow what you're thinking come out of here, you're able to contain yourself and behave in a way that is reflecting God's glory and, and you know, his, his character. You know, it's just this, it's this holy restraint. It's a holy hush. It's like, shh. And the Lord's telling you, shh, don't, don't say that. It's when we blurt it out and we, we say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's just me. That's just the flesh. You know, that's just my emotion of how I feel. Well, that wasn't, you weren't justified in saying it. You should have held back your tongue. Because a man who can bridle his tongue can bridle the whole body. So David bridled his tongue and remained faithful to God and, and his king, King Saul, even when brought low by man. Verse 17, uh, Then Saul said to David, Here's my elder daughter Merib, I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought... Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I? <clears throat> and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Mehalothite, for a wife. That was a weird twist, right? <clears throat> and say that word... <laughs> Ten times really fast. Mechalothite. Well, and let me ask you this. What had Saul promised to the one who took out Goliath? 
his daughter in marriage, right? He hadn't followed through with that. He hadn't. And so, up to this point, he hadn't done that. But we see here that Saul's intention, what Saul's intentions were by offering his daughter to David at this point. They were not honorable. They were not sincere intentions. Because what his thoughts were is there's no way that David could follow through with such a requirement without losing his life. <clears throat> That's what he thought. Saul attempted to do it, but failed twice, the spear being thrown at David. And now he was thinking it could happen by the hand of the, the, hand of the enemy. David's loyalty and patriotism could be taken advantage of, and David would surely perish in his courageous battles. Oh, he died courageously, valiantly. In, in the line of fire, he went out there. He tried, but man, he fell. That's what Saul was counting on. Even then, we see David's response was one of humility and not entitlement, not presumption. He didn't demand what Saul had promised. David was humble before the Lord. But, but then we see how Saul withdrew his offer quickly and gave her to another. And so we need to ask, this was a weird twist. It's like, oh, here she is. Oh, no, she's not. It's like, okay. We know that, that King Saul was a little mad. He was, you know, he was tormented. But we need to ask, was it to draw David's anger and that he would go after Saul? Here's treason. I, I want to I go ahead and bait him. I want to bring him in. Make him so angry that perhaps he will commit treason. He will come after me. Oh, and then we got him. But we don't see that. And knowing David's character up to this point, he most likely restrained his reaction, submitted to the wishes of the king, and moved on. We don't see anything other than that. We don't see here any evidence that David knew Saul's intentions either. But there was another daughter of Saul. Verse 20 says, Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, Let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law? Since I am a poor man and have no reputation, and the servants of Saul told him, thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, thus shall you say to David, the king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. We'll stop there. So Saul became aware that his, his other daughter, Michael loved David and was pleased because he thought he, he had another. Here's another way I can take David out. Another opportunity. He thought he could trap David using his daughter to drive David to his death at the hands of the Philistines. But again, David didn't know Saul's evil plans. We have the benefit of seeing scripture, you know, 
as it is written. It's, it's already taken place. But for David at the moment, he didn't know Saul's evil plans. But was told by Saul, you shall now be my son-in-law. This is the second time that he's told him this. The first time he changed his mind, and here he comes a second time to tell him this very same thing. My thoughts on this, and this is, these are just my thoughts. That perhaps David thought Saul withdrew his first offer because the dowry for his daughter was way out of his reach. As we'll see how he responds to, and the reason why I believe this and why I think this is because of the way he responds to Saul's servants referring to him being poor and of no reputation. Is, that's what David's response was to them. Do you, think it's, do you think this is a small thing? Do you think this is light? Listen, you guys are telling me this, and I know what the king told me, but I am poor, and I, have, I am of no reputation. In other words, he's saying, who am I to now come into this place of being the son-in-law of the king? He was humbling himself before them, and he didn't take it lightly. He took it very serious. It was at that point that the servants went back to Saul and told him what David had told him. But Saul wanted to have David persuaded. And so they came back and told Saul and, Saul, and Saul's servants... Um, Then we're told to go back to David and uh, tell him, hey, listen, the bride's price that you are to pay, there is nothing there that you are to come up with except for this. A hundred Philistine foreskins. Why? What what would this signify? Well, it would signify a hundred dead Philistines. That's what this was. And it would be a shame. It would be something that would be so like just over the top that um, that it would be for Saul. He would be avenged of the Philistines, the very enemies of Israel. So again, what we see here is the praying of Saul on David's loyalty and patriotism and what Saul had learned of David's trust in the Lord. Saul figured David would be killed trying, but would never succeed. But then we have verse 26. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. David seems to exemplify a man who thought the best of others, didn't he? Did he really have no fear of the violent intentions of the heart of Saul toward him? He had no fear. It it seems like he was blind to the manipulation of Saul and the evil intent in his heart. It's like for anyone else looking into this whole situation, you're like, okay, so he did this first, he did this second and third. And like, when when are you going to wake up, David? When are you going to realize that he, he has no good intentions toward you? 
I don't, I don't think that David was naive. I believe he trusted in the Lord so much that he knew Saul was no match for God. Just as in the end of Goliath was, in, in the end Goliath was no match for the Lord, and that God has all things under His sovereign control. That's what happens to a man who's completely given to the Lord and trusts in Him. It may seem that, you know, that man is oblivious to what's going on around him. Do you not realize why are why aren't you all stressed out and anxious? Why aren't you like why aren't you showing some concern like? Why don't you put your guard up and just like really like what's wrong with you? Right? And it's not that the man is weak, it's it's that the man is strong. Like that old saint and just sees everything going on and just has a wise word for that moment. No, the Lord is faithful. We can trust in the Lord. In him we're able to get through this. You know, just remain in Him. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. You can gain that peace that surpasses all understanding as you continue to, to just lean into Him. Trust Him. Well, when word came to David that the bride's price was a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, uh, well, it pleased him. But David not only brought a hundred, but instead he... This is where a good visual is great. I mean, a, a good visual, you know, we don't have a, a visual. of It's just, hey, listen, you, you wanted 100, here's 200 to King Saul. In other words, for, for David, he went above and beyond. He thought if, if 100 would avenge you, then 200 will really avenge you. And so here it is. This should be pleasing to you. I just took out 200 of your enemies. And here it is. And David was pleased because he knew that God would give him victory over his enemies. Just as he had given him victory over the bears and the lions and this giant Goliath. No different. And so we see everything backfired on Saul. Saul learned that Michael, his daughter, loved David. It really just, I think, hit home to, where, to when he realized my daughter really, really loves him. Not only that... But it was reinforced that the Lord was with David. Saul saw that David continued to have the most success of all his servants against the Philistines. No matter how much he humiliated him, no matter how much he did to him, it didn't matter. David continued to succeed and he continued to move forward. Therefore, Saul was even more afraid of David and Saul was David's enemy, as we read here, continually. It's just that that's what unfortunately infected Saul's heart and that was all that came out. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When a man humbles himself before God, he does not fear man. What can man do to me? Is what he says. A humble man will trust in God and submit himself to the leading of the Lord. And no matter how difficult it may seem, the humble man will surrender his anxieties to the Lord. And not only will God take those anxieties from the humble man, but he will show that man that he is faithful and able to deliver him from all of his enemies. That was a man after God's own heart. That was David. There's nothing that was moving him. He just kept going. 
He was steady. And again, if you want to know David's thoughts on this whole situation, it's a whole Psalm 18, 18, which the first three verses says this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And you could read the rest of Psalm 18, as it was written by David regarding God delivering him from the hand of his enemies, and specifically by delivering him from the hand of, of Saul himself. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness toward us. We thank you that we can go to you. You are a refuge. You are our strength. And we can know victory in you. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be filled with anxiety when difficult circumstances face us. But I pray, Lord, that we too would express a trust in you, a faith that is immovable, and Lord, although we're not, we're not in, ignorant of the, the ploys of the enemy, we're not ignorant or naive to the things that are happening around us, Lord, let, let us not be overwhelmed by them. I pray, Lord, that we would simply trust in you and know that we are victorious in you, that you will give us a victory. You will reveal, you will overwhelm, you will do whatever it is necessary. We're your children, Lord. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you give us your strength. And thank you that we can run to you. That you are our faithful refuge. That we can run to and be protected in from all our enemies. I just pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith that we would always cry out to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.